0: How about going to Ephesians, if you would? Ephesians, we're going to get um, to a place here in Ephesians where the you can't, you won't. There is no better way of saying what we believe. As far as salvation is concerned, better than Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. And, and I'll tell you this: there is no scripture anywhere in eleven and eleven hundred and eighty-nine chapters of Bible verses. There is no scripture that contradicts Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Not one of them. John three: 16. Goes right along with this. Romans 6.23 goes right along with this. Um, 1 John 1.9. Part of the Romans road of salvation. Just clicks right into this. Um, the entire book of Romans. Galatians. I mean it just. It all works together. For Ephesians 2, 8, 9 being the way, the only way that man can go to heaven. There's one way. Amen. Amen. All right. Y'all are dismissed then. Now let's get to it. And then we'll, we'll just kind of get into this and just look at why God made it this way. Everybody's got their opinions of God, what God is, what God does, how God does this. And some people, with their opinion of God, they cannot accept it. They just cannot accept this. And they won't. Because to them, it's not fair. It's not fair. We'll look at that in a little bit. Uh, Let's start here. Let's start at the beginning of, of Ephesians 2. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. And uh, think of Lazarus. okay? And, I'll, and there's a reason why I mentioned him in a minute. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. So everybody that you know that is not saved, and it's not born again. It's not led by the Spirit of God. If they're not led by the Spirit of God, they're led by a different spirit. There's another spirit in them that leads them, that that uh, blinds them to the truth. They cannot see the truth. Uh, you have a billion, 1.2 billion Roman Catholics cannot see it. They just... Won't see it, can't see it, refuse to see it, don't want to hear any other thing that contradicts what their priest told them to do. Their priests don't get it. The Pope doesn't get it. Um, You've got Jews all over the world that won't receive this until a certain time. Muslims, they they won't receive it either because, I'll tell you why in a little bit. Um, Verse 3, among whom... Also, we all had our conversation in times past. We were just like them in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins hath quickened us, made us alive together with Christ, parentheses, by grace are ye saved, parentheses. He puts that in there. He injects it in there. Hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I love that. I like to think of this church as a heavenly place. Amen? And, and God makes us, causes us to sit together here in this place in full agreement that we, we're all saved by the exact same gospel. Same grace. Now he may have had to divvy out more of it on John than he did Melissa. Probably. But it's this, everybody's saying amen to that. But it's the same grace, okay? Um, sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, verse 7, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Think about that. In the ages to come. We'll get there in a minute. Verse 8. 8, 9, and 10 go together. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. Father, I ask your blessings on your word. And Lord, just open our eyes and our minds and our hearts, this most beautiful part of the scripture. Blessed in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, Amen. Now, uh, just kind of going down through this, some of this we touched on uh, last Sunday night, so I won't, I won't rehash it again. But I want you to notice that he mentioned here in uh, verse 2 or verse 1, you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. And then verse 5, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace are you saved. And, and I was thinking about that one time and I, and I, remembered, I remembered how Jesus went to Lazarus. Lazarus uh, was sick. Jesus, uh, This is in John 11. Jesus was notified ahead of time that Lazarus was very sick. Sick unto death. And Jesus was told, hey, Lazarus is sick. Maybe you ought to to head that way and and see if you can go down there and, and heal him before he dies. And Jesus didn't do it. Didn't do it. And, it. and I'm sure that everybody would have you know, said maybe Jesus ought to go down there before he died. Before, and we'll use this phrase, before it's too late. But Jesus didn't do it. And why didn't he do it? He wanted to show that he could do something better than just heal somebody who is alive yet sick. That he has so much power that he can wait until after they die, then bring them back to life and heal their sickness. I mean, you could go, you could say, well, Jesus, you know, him going down and healing all these people, they probably would have gotten better anyway. So I don't really think Jesus did all of those miracles they said he did. People may have said that at the time. But Jesus waited specifically till Lazarus was dead, and he he stayed where he was. And finally, he said to his disciples, Lazarus is dead. He knew it. He knew when it happened. So his disciples were like, man, why why didn't he heal him? He loved him so much. Why didn't he heal him? Why didn't he go down there? So Jesus knows Lazarus is dead they finally get up, they make their journey down to where Lazarus is. It's four days now. And when you're four days dead, you're dead. Okay. I don't want to get into all of it, but I've seen bodies that are four days dead. There's, there's dead. It's, there's nothing there. You can't bring them back to life. And that was what you know the, the sisters of Lazarus were saying, "Hey, you know, uh, you know, don't don't." Jesus said, "Take you away the stone." No, 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 no. Don't take that way the stone away. That he stinketh. And they were asking Jesus. They told him. They said, "Jesus, had you been here before he died, you could have really showed your power. You could have healed him, and he wouldn't have had to have died." But Jesus had a better way. To go about this. He had a better thing to show them. So, you know, you, the, what I've been telling you over the years. You know, to, if you're born again, when God answers your prayer, he'll never say no. He'll either give you what you want or give you better than what you want. You're not going to find that verse written out in scriptures in that exact way. But you'll find it in stories like John 11 in the story of Lazarus. God, Jesus, not only answered their prayer, he answered it better than what they prayed it. All they asked was that Lazarus be healed. But nobody was thinking that after he dies, Jesus can still come down and do something about it. So when Jesus finally shows up, they're like, yeah, if you'd have been here four days ago, this would have never happened. And this is just terrible. You know, thank you for coming, Jesus, and being part of our weeping and sorrowing. And Jesus said, "Take ye away the stone." And He says it in the prayer to His Father. You know, Father, you have me. Let me let me read that. Go to um, go to uh, what is that? John eleven, yeah, where Jesus wept, John eleven thirty five. That's how you find the story of Lazarus. And. Uh, He says, take ye away the stone. And then he says in verse 41, Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it that that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And so Jesus understands why he's there at that time. God knows why he's there at that time. The people don't. But the people are about to believe now that Jesus is God. Because nobody but God can bring somebody back to life after four days of being dead. In fact, it gets better than that. You go all the way back to Ezekiel, um, what is it, Ezekiel 37, the dry bones? Those bones don't even have any maggots left on them. There's nothing there. And yet, uh, Ezekiel prophesies to them, sinew connects the bones together, muscles cover, cover them, blood vessels, and all of a sudden skin covers the whole thing. And now there's bodies laying there. And he prophesies again, and the breath of God goes into it. And they stand up in mighty army. So how dead does a person have to be? What is the limit of God when somebody is dead in trespasses and sins? There is no limit to God. I, I'll be honest with you. I, I talk about my brother-in-law being saved. To me personally, that was, that's probably right up there with the biggest miracle I've ever personally seen with my eyes, because I worked with him every day. I knew what he was capable of. I knew what he got into after we quit working. It was like when I was working with him, he stayed clean. When I quit there and came to work here, he really dove off. And I mean, he got into everything. During those years at one time I was trying to leave a cassette tape of a sermon. I'd preach for him to listen to He got mad at me And therefore while when he would come over at family functions, he wouldn't stay if I was there if I was there He would walk past me and say uh, Happy birthday to his dad or you know Happy father's day to his dad or to his mom or something like that and get in his car and leave if I was there That's what he would do. He hated me. He hated my guts but I mean, I saw God change that man. I, I'm just like, he's saying amen to what I'm saying. I can't believe this. There's other four-letter words he says. He don't say amen. But that's what God did. God took a man who was dead in trespasses and sins and changed him. And actually made him to where within days of him dying, He's aware now he's going to die. And he's coming to me going, am I, Mike, am I going to heaven? Yeah, you are, Steve. I can tell there's a difference in you. Prayed with him, boom, he's in heaven. By that Friday, he's in heaven. I'm, I'll never get over that all the days of my life. I will never get over that. And so here's Lazarus, four days dead. And all he does, all, and, and this is important now. I want you to understand this. I'm saying all this for a reason. Jesus speaks to a a rotting carcass. What is it that a rotting carcass can do to aid in its own salvation? Nothing. Not a thing. It responds... To the voice of God saying, Lazarus, come forth. That's what it does. When the word of God, with all that power in it, goes forth, it does exactly what God sent it forth to do. And there is not any chance in a billion universes that that's going to return void back to God. It's not going to happen. When Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth, that was it. Lazarus immediately, four days dead, comes, literally stuff is sticking back together again. Under all that wrapping he's got, okay? He stands up, walks forth out of that tomb, and everybody's like, oh can't believe this now again these are the kind of miracles that you and I get to see when somebody that we know is lost in sins and transgressions and they come to the Lord they they you don't have to bother them you don't have to aggravate them you don't have to try to throw gospel verses at them all the time they just show up and they say what must I do to be saved That's how easy a lot of times it is. When God's ready to save somebody, it just seems like they make it easy for you. You don't have to think about what verse. I remember one time, a church I was pastoring down at Richwoods. And um, there was a a man there, his his wife and his kids came to church. And he was one of these men that the... um, uh, other pastors that gone to and they try to witness to him and he just never would budge he was a good guy but he just wouldn't he wouldn't give his life to the Lord and um, I noticed that he really liked me for some reason I have no idea why but he liked me and um, he had gone out to Colorado to go deer hunting and he came back from that and he, he had a kill and he gave me the tenderloins from that from that deer and I'm going whoa what did I do for this Not too long after that, he comes to church on Sunday morning, and I'm preaching, and I had got to a place where I said, okay, everybody, bow your head, close your eyes, and I said, is anybody here, God's dealing with you, you want me to pray for you, raise your hand. Well, he raised his hand, and I went, oh, and automatically I'm thinking, what am I going to say to him after church? Boy, I I could ruin this. Uh, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. So I said, okay, and we had a prayer, and I said, now, if if God's dealing with you, why don't you come? He came down to the altar. I wasn't expecting that. That man was ready to get saved. That was the easiest thing I'd ever done in my life. I'm like, is he down here, really? And I went down and prayed with him. And he got got saved so good, he wanted to be baptized late October. It's already frosted, Chris. And the only baptistry we had was the big river. And yeah, it was. It was. But I'll never forget that as long as I live. Um, God just made that easy for me, made it easy for him. God had been dealing with him. I didn't, I can't take any credit. I can't say, boy, I worked with this guy until I got him saved. There's nothing about anything that I did that made him get saved. And the idea is there's nothing about anything that he did. When you're dead and laying there and God speaks to you, there's nothing physically that your body does to make your salvation take place. You just get up and you walk. You're a brand new person now. So, when we read this verse, um, verse uh, 5 again, even when we were dead in sins, hath He quickened us together. We were dead. He made us alive. And dead people do nothing. And when it says that we were dead... And trespasses and sins, back up um, in verse 1, it basically means, and this is part of the, the doctrine that we understand, that from the moment you're born, you are destined for hellfire and judgment. That you're, that's where you're headed. Now, there is a time of innocence that a child lives through that they are not held accountable for their sins. But at such and such a time, and God is well aware of when it is for every person, where they become consciously aware that their sins will cost them uh, life in heaven, they won't be able to go there, their sins will send them to hell, They recognize right from wrong. They know that there is judgment for those who do wrong and there's blessings for those who do right. When they come to that point in their life, then they are ready to uh, listen to the gospel and respond to the gospel. Uh, Something that uh, I never, and Lisa and I talked about this, we never pushed any of our kids to get saved. We, didn't all, we weren't always on them going, Are you going to get saved? When, are you going to, when do you want to be saved? you want to be saved now? We never did that. We let them come to us. And in their time, boom, here they come. Okay, But it's the idea of when you're dead, you cannot contribute to your own salvation. So, verse 6, of Ephesians 2. He hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That, and this is, this is the, the purpose of it, that in the ages to come, which means from, I guess, the time that Christ died on the cross, was rose again on the third day, and so on, and now salvation is offered to all men. Uh, the day of Pentecost comes, and uh, um, they have the Gentiles now hearing the gospel, and so on, that in the ages to come, from that day to this day, to the days that are ahead of us, all the way into in- in eternity, in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Raise your hand if you've ever just had one of those thoughts where you said, God, why did you save me? Why did you do that? What did I do to deserve you loving me and you offering me salvation. God, why, why did you pick me? And I've done that and I don't get an answer. Other than, I love you. But God loves all men, does he not? Yeah. But most men simply will not want God's grace. So now, verse 8, and here's the difference. Okay? And we're going to kind of go through um, earth religions for a minute. Um, for by grace are ye saved through faith. So, in your mind or in your notes or whatever, there are two, two things that must be necessary for a person to be saved. Number one, it must be God's grace available to them. Now, do you believe that God offered grace to Charles Manson? Those of you who don't know, he was a a cult leader and sent people out to slaughter movie stars, and that, and not just kill them. They took their blood and wrote things on the walls of their house, like Helter Skelter and Little Piggy and stuff like that. Lyrics to Beatles songs, believe it or not, um, on the walls with their blood. That's how that's how nasty these people were. I was I was growing up during that time, and I was. Scared to death that Charles Manson was going to come to my house and kill us all. I was. Um, Did God offer grace to Charles Manson? Okay. Um, Vladimir Putin. Does God offer grace to Vladimir Putin? Yes. Adolf Hitler. Yeah. Okay. Um, Marilyn Manson. God offers grace to Marilyn Manson, yes. Um, Pope Francis. God offers grace to Pope Francis, but why then? Isn't Pope Francis born again? Why isn't he born again? Why? Why is it? What was that? Huh. Okay. Um, You what? He thinks he had a better way. God's grace is offered to every man. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. To who? The whole world. But man thinks, you're right, man thinks he has a better way. And so, it's grace is offered in verse 8, for by grace are ye saved through faith. There's the second part right there. Now, I had, I've run into so many idiots on the internet that have actually made videos on me saying that I preach heresy, and some people believe it, and and most people don't. So I used to get worked up over them, and now I'm just like, I don't care what they say. I really don't. Um, I found out one time that uh, this one guy, he, I I don't know where he is. He hasn't been around in a while, but he would make a video on me every now and then, call me a heretic, and I remember reading the comments and one lady said, I'd never heard of Mike Hoggard until this guy made this video. And I wanted to go find out what kind of heretic he really was. I watched a bunch of his videos. Now I know, really know who the heretic is. The heretic is the guy who made the video against him. And I'm going, see, there is no such thing as bad publicity on the Internet. Okay? And I, sometimes I have been mean enough to send these people a thank you message. Thank you for making this video about me because we've actually increased, you know, our, our viewership on the, online. Uh, but anyway, it 's through faith, and I, this one guy calls faith a work. and we 're going you 're dumb you 're stupid. Faith is here, here and here. It doesn 't have any motor responses in our body. I don't activate the faith machine in my body that makes me do this or bow or do whatever. It's I believe it. I believe it as being totally true and I need no other evidence other than I believe it. Uh, what is uh, Hebrews 11? Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Faith is its own evidence and its own substance that it exists. And we don't need anything else to tell us that it's true. Now, the more you read the Bible, the more things you find in life that tells you it is true. But once you accept faith, you just, I mean, we don't have to tell kids that You know, certain fat man slides down the chimney at you know, December 25th and puts presents under the trees. And I mean, I I just believed it. But I never could figure out how he wrapped all those presents in our house without me knowing about it. And I never could figure out we didn't have a fireplace. We had one of those cardboard things you put up with the little thing that spun around to make it look like a fire. And I'm going, how does he get in there? I did. I honestly thought that. But, but my, uh, my perseverance for Santa Claus was real. But I didn't need anything else. And, and as far as believing and trusting in God's salvation, I don't need anything else to tell me that it's true. It's true. I believe it. Now that I've believed it and accepted it, at that point, by grace, are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. God specifically takes any actions or reactions of us out of the picture. Um, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son um, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, and I haven't dealt with this guy in years. He went to prison, and so I didn't really have to, uh, to uh, delve into him too much. But there was a man by the name of Jim Staley. He's now out of prison, and he is uh, trying to rejuvenate his... Uh, false prophet ministry. Uh, Jim Staley is part of a group called the Hebrew Roots Movement. And I didn't really know such a thing existed. I, you know, kept hearing about it. I would look into it and I would realize what they were. They were a group of people who were reading Jewish rabbi uh, books, Books written by Jewish sages and Jewish rabbis for the past, oh, 17, 1800 years, something like that. They would read these books and because they were, they were convinced that the only way to understand Jesus and the gospel was to understand it the way the Jews understood it. My first argument against that with, with it is the Jews didn't understand it. That's why they missed it. That's why they missed their own Messiah dying for them right in front of them on the cross. They missed it. And so I knew they was wrong on that point, but the more I studied them, the more I realized that they were telling people that in order to really please God, you must keep all of the law as much as you possibly can. Now, how much of the law is it possible for you to keep? Huh? If a man offends the law in one point, he's guilty of all. So is it in any way possible to keep any of the law? No. God made it absolutely impossible for us to do that. And he did that on purpose. Why? So that we would accept grace by faith we would accept salvation by grace through faith and not of works because and this is as I listened to him teach and he used to have uh, a church right up here around uh, St. Charles somewhere and pretty good size people were sending him lots of money and um, what he didn't tell everybody was he ran a scam Jay Nixon, who was, if you remember, he was the uh, attorney general of the state of Missouri, actually threw him in prison because Jim Staley was selling, um, he bought a life insurance policy on an old man. Now, the premiums are going to be high on this. And we're talking millions of dollars. So he went around selling to especially to retired people, he went around selling pieces of the dividends for when this old guy died, which means that they had to pay part of the premiums, their share of the premiums. The problem is, number one, that's illegal because he was selling, un- he was selling securities without a license. Number two he wasn't even paying some of the premiums. He was just stealing the money and just in an old-fashioned pocket-the-money thing. So here's the man telling you, you're saved by keeping as much of the law as you can, but he forgot that one that said, thou shalt not steal. And that, thou shalt not bear false witness. He forgot those two as well. And um, he actually called here one day because he didn't like what I said about him one time. And I, I realized then I knew what kind of person I'm dealing with. But anyway, he went to prison. He's now out of prison. He's doing the same thing, again, telling people that they must go back. They must keep the Passover. They must keep the Feast of uh, uh, Tabernacles. They must keep the uh, Day of Atonement. They must keep these feast days. They must, they must follow the law. Uh, He believes that the New Testament was never written in Greek originally. It was written in Hebrew because they were all Jews. And even though no copy of the New Testament exists in Hebrew, ancient Hebrew, anywhere, that's what he believes. So what they did, a bunch of these people got together and they reverse translated the New Testament back into Aramaic. So they would have one. And it says everything completely different. Um, He does studies on Romans and Galatians. And when everybody, when somebody does that, I know they've got a reason behind it. Because Galatians tells you, in fact, go to Galatians. Let me read you something. It's right before Ephesians. Um, Go to Galatians 3, verse 2. Uh, this only what I learn of you received you the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. Remember what Paul said? Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So Paul's asking these churches these, this question. When the spirit came in amongst us that day, Did you receive the Spirit because you were keeping the law? Or did you receive it because you heard the Word of God and you believed it? And the answer would have been uh, by the hearing of faith. And so Paul then says, are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? And um, I can tell you that I have been... Uh, a fundamentalist all my life, very conservative. And I know that there are fundamentalist conservative churches out there that say they believe in grace. But just you dare have your hair longer as a man than what they agree to, and you're not saved. You're not saved because you didn't cut your hair the right length. And you're not saved because you were out not wearing a dress one day, ladies. You were wearing slacks. They will attribute salvation to those issues there. Or you sang a song in church that had a beat to it. They, they attach God's grace and His salvation to to those issues there. And in that sense, they're no different than... uh, I've been watching some of these videos about the fundamentalist Latter-day Saints where the one man is in control of all the people and all the women. The girls have to wear prairie dresses and they have to have this one loop in their hair. They all have to make their hair look exactly the same and all this garbage. And it's no different when fundamentalism, and the things that we believe become our works of salvation. We're just as wrong as a Roman Catholic is. Somebody say amen. So, and and I believe that Christians ought to look like Christians. I believe Christian women ought to look, especially nowadays, when we see so many people and we're going, I don't know if that's a boy or a girl. We live in these days where it becomes us to dress the way God asks us to dress, to do the things God asks us to do, to make sure that our lives are being separate from the rest of the world. But we're not doing those things to make ourselves saved or to keep ourselves saved. We're doing them because we are saved. And therein lies the difference. Um, back, to, back to this. By grace are you saved through faith that not of yourselves it is a gift of God not of works lest any man should boast. And I can tell you that whether it's the Hebrew Roots Movement they boast about the fact that they keep the feast days. And they don't celebrate these pagan things like Christmas and Easter and they don't. See they boast about it. And the moment you've got them boasting you know where they're They think their salvation comes from, they think their salvation comes from the things that they do that pleases God. Or, um, who else, who else can I pick on? The Catholic Church who says that they are the only church and nobody else can be saved unless you're saved by the Catholic Church. And they know that they're the only church because they have the only way of salvation and that Christ died for your sins. But you must also pay a price. So you must say Hail Marys and you must say Our Fathers and you must do these things that monks and nuns do. And they boast on the things that they do. And they believe that that draws them closer to God. But if they're boasting on what they do, you can almost 100% tell they're not saved. Or at least they have a messed up idea of how they got saved. And I'm saying a lot of these things from personal experience. Because had you known me when I was... How old are you, Matthew? 26? No, this goes back to when I was about 18, 19, 20 years old. If you would have known me back then, I was Mr. Super Conservative, always had my hair the right way, always looked a certain way. I didn't wear certain clothes. I didn't go certain places. I didn't do certain things. And that proved that I was saved against people that I was going to college with That did those things and I always compared myself against them and said I'm saved and they're not and one of the faculty members sons who was in my class and this guy was lost just as lost as could be I had a wake-up call one day when I got real cocky and arrogant with him in a class And after class, he was waiting for me. And when I came around the corner, he grabbed me by the throat and pushed me up against the wall. And he had his fist like this. He said, don't you ever talk to me like that again. Look down your nose at me. Who do you think you are? And I'm thinking, this guy's going to hit me. And everybody saw it. And you know who came to console me? nobody because this lost kid was right i had an attitude against him and everybody else that i was better than they were because of the things that i did and it was all outward appearance i'm not even going to begin to tell you what was going on on the inside of me but it was all outward appearance and God shoved me up against a wall one day with a, with a lost man's fist ready to punch me in the face and break my jaw. And he would have done it too. He didn't care if he got kicked out. He didn't want to be there to begin with. His dad was making him go there. But I used, I used to boast on the things that I did. And over the years God took all of that away. And I had nothing Left, And it was only by grace that I am still able to stand here before you tonight. You get that in your mind. I promise you the people around you won't have a problem coming to you when their life starts falling apart. Because they'll know that you're somebody that doesn't think you're better than everybody else. They just know that you're somebody who's been broken, who's done things, and yet God has made your life better. And they see it, and they'll come to you like my brother-in-law did. They'll come to you. They'll come to you. Let's uh, stand to our feet.